Good afternoon, Acadiana. This is Joe Cunningham here on News Talk 96.5. The Joe Cunningham Show with you this afternoon as in every weekday afternoon from 3 to 4 p.m. Glad to be with y'all today. There's a lot because we weren't here on Friday. UL Baseball uh, took our time slot on Friday, so didn't get a chance to talk with y'all then. And there's been a, even if I did have a show on Friday, there's a ton that's gone on over the weekend and today that really needs to be uh, discussed. And I'm going to try to fit as much of it in as I can. And this may be one of those situations where if you go to kitchenpundit.substack.com and sign up for the uh, sign up to receive email updates and everything, I may have to do an extra after hours recording to completely cover everything because there is just a ton. So let's start with the most recent. Here in Louisiana, the governor, uh, John Bill Edwards, just gave his State of the State speech where he kind of lays out uh, where Louisiana is and his legislative agenda for this legislative session, which is kind of funny considering he is not representative of the party in power. And frankly, I think none of his ideas uh, will really be getting through. Now, the big news, the one that's making headlines across the state right now is that Edwards has announced he will not be renewing the emergency health order. So after two years, Louisiana will not be under an emergency health order starting on Wednesday, which is when the current one expires. This is, frankly, overdue. Uh, The science has not supported it being uh, continuing on as it has, but Edwards has kept it uh, going at the request of the Obama, uh, the Biden administration and their, frankly, conflicting guidances on COVID-19. But the numbers have long been low enough that Louisiana could safely come out of the emergency health orders, although most of the restrictions had already been lifted because there was nothing to keep them going. And frankly, most Louisianians weren't following them anyway. That is the big one. Now, he also uh, recommending that the first $50 million of any increase in state revenue forecast boost uh, the proposed teacher pay raise from $1,500 to $2,000. I've talked about that issue here before. Neither $1,500 nor $2,000 is enough for teachers, especially when you look next door to like Mississippi, which is proposing a few thousand dollars extra for teachers in the state. There is a major teacher shortage that's only getting worse here in the state. And they're trying to find ways to recruit more teachers to the profession, whether it's getting more retirees to come back into the system or by trying to get new people into education programs here in the state. That uh, the, the current pay structure or the current pay rate here across Louisiana just is not enough to keep teachers in the system or to encourage new teachers to come into the system. Uh, Edwards spent a lot of time on the redistricting session, uh, specifically talking about the congressional maps, which he has vetoed and sent back to the legislature. Uh, He is calling it simple math. If one third of the state is black, then one third of our congressional seats needs to be uh, minority majority. I'm thinking right now it's. I don't know that he's going to get that. I don't know that I don't know that the Democrats are going to get that. But I also don't know that the Republicans really have it in them to put forward uh, a veto override. Those numbers are still kind of iffy. I kind of broke those down with y'all last week, but it's it's kind of shaky right now. He's also 
calling for a minimum wage increase, which he's called for every year of his administration and has never gotten from the legislature. These, uh, these, these are just kind of his legislative items that he mentioned in his speech. Uh, really, all of it kind of expected and nothing really, it's like the State of the Union, nothing really matters in these types of speeches. It's just laying out an agenda and then the legislature goes and does its thing and the governor basically reacts to it. But that is the biggest news of the moment from Baton Rouge, the governor laying out his agenda for this legislative session. And the Republicans are already underway with their own agenda. One thing that, that he did say without mentioning any specifics, Edwards did say that there were several bills that were filed this, lesson, this legislative session that won't make lives better. He said, quote, they do, however, serve to divide us. And frankly, some are reminiscent of a dark past that we should learn from, not relive. He's taking some shots at some Republican-based uh, ideas on critical race theory and transgender sports. And I think that Edwards is probably making the smart political play by not mentioning those because we don't know how those bills are going to play out yet. And, and none of those bills are, have really taken shape. And we don't know what they're actually going to do because they haven't gone through the process. You will see more forceful language out of Edwards when those bills uh, finally materialize and have gone through the process and see amendments, and we start seeing statements and, and things like that on those. 232-1542, if you want to call in, talk about what's going to happen this legislative session, or if you want to talk about the other big news in Louisiana that was over the weekend, Will Wade, coach, uh, basketball coach at LSU, has been fired uh, uh, this came days after uh, LSU was served notice of uh, violate uh, of uh, violations um, of of the rules, some level one, level two infractions. And when he came under fire years ago, uh, three years ago, uh, part of his amended contract with LSU was that. If any of these allegations ever came up again or any level one or level two violations uh, came up again, they would terminate him with cause. That was part of the agreement. And then last week we saw those allegations come forward. And on Saturday after the uh, SEC tournament, uh, that uh, he, he was summarily fired. An interim coach has uh, taken over and will guide LSU through the through March Madness and we will have all of that and more right now we're going to go ahead and take a break here on the Joe Cunningham show we will be back in just a few minutes with more on what's going on in Louisiana and across the country right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. If you'd like to call in, take part in the conversation, 232-1542, or catch me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham and Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Lots going on uh, just in the world to cover. Let's focus on Louisiana for the moment. Probably spend most of the show on Louisiana. Maybe, uh, like I mentioned earlier, Maybe do an after-hours podcast form that you guys can catch out in the podcast format on Apple, Spotify, go see on Substack, wherever, uh, to cover some of the national events. But I want to stick with the Will Wade story out of LSU. Uh, for those of you who, who don't know, 
I've at the high school and middle school level, I've been a basketball coach. So I I know enough about the game to be able to talk about this. I followed enough of the college level sports to be able to to say a little bit on it. And I don't really particularly care so much to talk about the Will Wade issue, but the the future of the LSU program because that that's going to be really kind of you know what happens next. The the NCAA allegations are going to linger over the program, uh, just as they have over the football program, and will continue to do so while LSU tries to sort through all this mess. That's one of the things that made it so very interesting that Brian Kelly took the football job is that it it takes it, it takes a certain level of ego and or insanity to be a big name coach and then take a job at a place that has these allegations lingering over them. But that appears to be what Brian Kelly was going for, and, and he's going to turn that program around. Now, you have assistant coach Kevin Nickelberry, who's going to be leading the team through however long LSU stays uh, in the NCAA uh, uh, tournament. But what comes next? What comes after that? Well, you've got... Um, you have Scott Woodward, director of athletics at LSU. And after Joe Oliva left, Woodward has had to make some big moves. In fact, he's already made several big moves and some really good ones. Uh, Kim Mulkey, Jay Johnson, the aforementioned Brian Kelly. He's brought some big names in to help turn the programs at LSU around, and no doubt he's going to try to do the same thing for LSU, or for LSU basketball. And you have to. You can't have a program like this with these issues that are hanging over its head and just bring in a relative unknown, somebody new to You have to have somebody who could navigate through these issues, not just as a coach, but effectively as the administrator in charge of the team. Wade, unfortunately, had things already lingering over him. He was always going to have that asterisk next to his name because of the FBI wiretap and because of these new allegations. So whether or not LSU dumped him now or after March would not have made a difference. Maybe saved LSU some publicity nightmare through this tournament, through March Madness. But other than that, really makes no difference. You have to find an established, fairly well-known college coach to come in and take over this men's basketball program. And it just so happens, athletic director at LSU, Scott Woodward, has experience in doing just that. So it's going to be an incredibly interesting future, both near and long-term for the LSU men's basketball program. As much as the the players may like coach Nickelberry. Um it's he's I mean he's not going to be that guy. He's the assistant coach. The players that are there like him. But unfortunately his name is not big enough to get new recruits to come in. You have an expected signing class, all of whom are going to see that the coach that recruited them is out the door. 
and they're going to scatter. So you need a big name to keep them at LSU, keep them committed to LSU. You're going to need a big name that everybody trusts to turn the program around. Because remember three years ago, when Wade was suspended, there was a major, major fan backlash. In fact, uh, in a story at The Advocate, uh, after Will Wade's firing, LSU's former president says board protected Wade three years ago. F. King Alexander uh, on uh, WRKF's Talk Louisiana saying that LSU did not have enough evidence against Wade at the time to fire him for cause. The only information LSU had in 2019 about allegations came from the FBI and their leaks to the media, and that the FBI would not turn over its information to LSU. So the board essentially protected Wade from being fired. Now, part of that is due to the massive fan backlash and what would have turned into a major donor backlash at a time when LSU was doing everything it could to protect whatever money was coming in. As a result of all of this, LSU's got some tough decisions to make. And it's going to be probably a, a, a tough couple years for LSU. Now, I, I say that bringing Kim Mulkey in, bringing in Jay Johnson, they, they've turned the programs around in a season. We don't know yet what Brian Kelly is going to do with LSU, but frankly, anything for LSU will be better than what we've seen over the last couple of years. Right now, LSU's men's basketball program is a fairly elite squad. They have the potential, but right now they're just, they don't have, you know, their, their leader uh, because he's been fired. And Nickel Bear, who's been with the team and will keep the current system in place, we don't know if currently he's the guy who has the leadership potential or has the ability to come up with a winning formula for the program going forward. Is he his own guy or is he still going to be very much the Will Wade's guy? So you have to decide if you're trying to find somebody to lead that program, you have to decide what direction you want to go in. The smartest play and the play that Woodward has made three times now has been to find a big successful name, bring them in and have them turn the program around and essentially turn the NCAA investigation story into a side plot. You want the story to be LSU rebuilding, and oh, by the way, the reason they're rebuilding is this. Not LSU is being forced by the NCAA to rebuild. Here's their plan, essentially. 232-1542, if you want to call in and join in the conversation there. Speaking of March Madness, the other thing that's been pretty... Uh, it, it's it, there's been a lot of voices talking about it. I, I'm not sure because I don't pay near as much attention to the rankings just as much as I do uh, the the games themselves. But there is a lot of backlash right now because Texas A&M, which was a bubble team, um, they didn't make it in. And there are a lot of folks who are really upset about that. From CBS Sports, Duke's number two seed leaving Texas A&M out were mistakes by the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee. I mean, it's obvious that Duke's, uh, Duke's ranking came out of respect for, uh, for their coaches last year. I mean, that, that's, that 
it's based more on that than the actual numbers. But the Texas A&M omission, they were a bubble team. Uh, and a lot of Texas A&M and a lot of college basketball fans are very, very weirded out by that. The resume compar- comparison with Indiana shows two very similar teams, which Texas A&M having edged out in a couple of key, key areas they are better away from home and better against tournament opposition. Indiana has five losses outside of quad one, while Texas A&M only has two. They have the same number of quad one wins, but the Aggies are a little better, and they both beat Notre Dame and lost to Wisconsin, although Indiana did so twice. So a lot of folks upset about Texas A&M being omitted in favor of Indiana. So that is a quick look at basketball. I'll be doing a little bit more in-depth throughout the week because I love this time of year. But 232-1542, if you want to call and take part in the conversation. Uh, when we come back, one more state story. Louisiana State Police ignored a recommendation to arrest one of the troopers in the Ronald Green case. That's coming out right now. That came out after last week. And that is frustrating Republicans and Democrats alike on the special house committee that's investigating this. So we're going to have that in a little bit more here on the Joe Cunningham show. News talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham show here on news talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to join in the conversation. All right. So for a little bit now, we've had this house select committee that has been looking into the Louisiana State Police potential cover-up, or we know is a cover-up, of the Ronald Green, of Ronald Green's death and the subsequent investigation. Uh, and this committee was kind of prompted by the revelation that John Bell Edwards was texted about Ronald Green's death prior to it, but stayed silent as Louisiana State Police fabricated the story of what happened that night. So... At an in-house, uh, an in-house Louisiana State Police investigator said his recommendation to supervisors to have a trooper arrested following the in-custody death of Ronald Green, a black motorist, was ignored. Police video that the Associated Press obtained shows at least six of the troopers on the scene at, at, of Green's death arrest uh, of Green's death and arrest were white. Lieutenant Johnny Brown, the head of criminal investigations in the LSP Monroe office told a legislative committee on Friday that only once in his career was his recommendation to arrest a trooper not followed. I'm sorry, this is the Senate Committee of State Police Oversight that was formed after Green's death. Uh, senators were limited in, in what they could ask Brown at the Friday meeting, focusing only on general questions and nothing specific to the Green case, but the lawmakers' attempted vagary were pointed enough to indicate that they wanted to know if state police higher-ups withheld information related to Green's death. Senator Katrina Jackson, a Democrat of Monroe, asked Brown if a supervisor had ever asked him to exclude information from a report. I'm not going to commit a crime from anyone, Brown answered. You can see this story. Uh, this is Louisiana Illuminator story. Uh, you can find it at the advertiser's website. But one of the issues here uh, is that... A, uh, a a state the state agency's counsel accompanied Brown to this hearing, and they uh, 
the the senators were kind of unable to get really pointed questions in there. The council would confer with Brown, and Brown would not be able to answer all of, of what he wanted based on that council's advice. So the state legislature is kind of reaching a sticking point. This this whole the the Louisiana State Police's council being involved in this is kind of muddying it up for them, and they're not able to get. Uh, what they're looking for in these hearings, but I imagine that these are going to continue till they get the answers they want. 232-1542, if you want to join in the conversation. I want to jump now. Oh, we've got a caller on the line. Uh, we've got Renee on the line. Renee, how are you this afternoon? I'm okay. Um, uh, I think outside of the box a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And when I have people that want to hear what I got to say and they're not too uh, biased, I talk to them. Yep. One of my concerns is the black community always complain about policemen this, policemen that, but not too many of them either want to join up their policemen. And on top of that, uh, if policemen misbehave and you, they don't want to be poor. You know, Renee, I'm I'm sorry. Your, your, your Renee, I'm sorry. Your phone keeps cutting out. I'm, I I you're we're missing large chunks of what you're saying. Can you repeat what you were saying in that second? So the, your first point was, um, uh, the black community, uh, when they have problems with uh, police, they're not going out and joining the police force. What was your second point? Well, another thing, the police it needs interactivity. Mm-hmm. And it has intel by you reporting what's going on to help them know what to do, or if they have some bad policemen, I don't care if the good old boy system is there. Sooner or later, if you put enough complaints for the policemen messing up, the good old boy at the top will be like, look, buddy, you got to go somewhere else and find a job. You might get me in trouble. Mm-hmm. I'll send in reports when policemen mess up. I'll go to their supervisor, mm-hmm. and I'll get proactive when I have the time. But most people in the black community complain about that. They don't want to help with intelligence. They don't want to help with a report on a policeman doing something bad. So they get what they reap. Policemen that don't don't get out of office or get sent somewhere else or get get fired and not be a policeman anymore. Mm-hmm. It's I, a cultural thing, maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe so. Renee, thank you very much for the call. 232-1542 if you want to call in and join in the conversation. I want to join. I want to jump real quick now. Uh to a national so uh, my buddy Casey Maddox at Americans for Prosperity has uh, has an opinion piece at the New York Post. A new poll conducted by YouGov and Americans for Prosperity, released exclusively to the Post, reveals that Americans feel their core freedoms are less secure than before the pandemic. This is true often by substantial margins. Forty two percent feel less secure about voicing their opinions. 43% feel less secure about their freedom to protest, and 36% feel less secure about their freedom to exercise religious beliefs. This is bad news for our foundational rights. Even if our rights remain on solid legal ground, the perception they are not can cause us to think twice about speaking up. And that kind of goes to what Renee was saying just now in that you have the ability to speak up and speak out about an issue. The problem is whether it's um, bad relationships between the black community and law enforcement, 
whether it is uh, cancel culture, whether it is, you know, a, a group coming after you based on what you believe or what you think or what you say, when you perceive and when groups of people perceive they don't have the ability to speak up on these issues, even though the freedom does still technically exist, you feel like it doesn't and you're less likely to speak out on it. While a healthy skepticism, Casey writes, of government power in, is wise in a democracy, in a true crisis, public officials must make snap decisions to protect the public. Whether people follow those decisions depends, in part, on their confidence in the leaders making them. Unfortunately, when asked about every single institution or office in the YouGov AFP poll, the majority of respondents said their trust in those institutions had dropped. And that has been a major issue across the board since this pandemic began. We've been told, trust the science, trust the government, trust the medical community, trust this and that. And each and every time that trust has been betrayed, trust the science. Well, the science has told us for months we should be out of masking requirements, public health requirements, the ones that were imposed during COVID-19. We should not have closed schools. Kids were never a threat or were never at threat, uh, under threat of COVID-19. That closing down the schools hurt their education. All the science suggested all of that. But we were told to follow the science and the scientists, the ones in the government, were telling us that we need to... Uh, we, we need to shut down the schools just for everybody's safety, even though the science, the data never actually showed that. There is no public trust in our institutions now. The public institutions took too much power and restricted far too much, and now people are concerned. Couple that with a democratic government all but loving cancel culture and encouraging people to go after those that you disagree with because you think they're guilty of hate speech or whatever it is. People are terrified of speaking up. Normal center of the aisle, center of the lane uh, people, right or left, they feel nervous about speaking up on some of these issues. And now they feel like they can't communicate what they're feeling. 232-1542. When we come back from the break, the future of the Republican Party, a new piece from National Review. We'll talk about that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Glad to be with y'all today. Hey, uh, I mentioned it earlier. I've got a Substack, kitchenpundit.substack.com. If you go there uh, and subscribe, you will get my daily columns. Uh, I write a column every day, some sort of political commentary or cultural commentary, but I'm also adding a second piece, which every Saturday morning will email, email out uh, some recipe that I've been working on, a little bit of food history, or a review of a cookbook I've stumbled across and either like or don't like. But uh, I've already got it set up to where this Saturday morning, uh, my recipe for boudin and boudin balls will go out because I finally... I've come up with a recipe that I like, and I'll be sharing that with y'all. If y'all want uh, my take on a boudin recipe, you go to kitchenpundit.substack.com, sign up, and you will get that recipe on Saturday morning. I like to do uh, big cooks like that on the weekends uh, because I have more time. I'm not worried about 
uh, I'm not worried about, you know, work or anything like that. I have the time to really, you know, do, do something slow and methodical in the kitchen. And that is uh, often what I like to do. 232-1542 if you want to join in the conversation. So over at National Review, Rich Lowry, who's uh, who's one of the uh, one of the senior uh, editors over there, uh, Ron DeSantis and the New Republican Party, and he's he's talking about Ron DeSantis tackling the media and their take on this uh, Parental Rights Act that has gone through the legislature that he is expected to sign. They, the media and the left has called this the "Don't Say Gay" bill. And he's, his office has pushed back on that very hard. In a statement, uh, after Disney critiqued the law, DeSantis was absolutely stalwart, according to Lowry, saying that chances are zero that he's going to back away from his support of the law. And he, does a, he didn't hesitate to go on offense against Disney. He said it has made a fortune off of being family friendly, so it should understand that families don't want inappropriate material injected into the curriculum at schools. Lowry goes on to explain that this is essentially the new direction of the GOP. And I agree. Ron DeSantis, I wrote this back in September, but Ron DeSantis is the natural evolution of what Trumpism was. When Donald Trump came into the political scene, his method was to attack, attack, attack anything and everything, uh, to quote JR of uh, WWE commentary fame, anything that by God moves, he attacked. And that is what Trump did. DeSantis is a little more tactical. He fights the smart battles. He fights battles that he knows the media and the left will attack on and fight back on, but DeSantis fights back against them on issues that he knows that resonate with not just the far right, but with parents and with more moderate groups. Normal Americans believe that sexual identity and uh, gender identity and all these concepts, it's far too much of a concept for kids five through eight. And that's all the law says, that these things are not to be taught in the class and they're not to be part of the curriculum. But the left has lost their mind on it, thinking that, Ron DeSantis is trying to ban people from talking about gays in elementary school. And they're pushing out all this propaganda against it, and none of it is really sticking. Uh, the Daily Wire did a, did a poll with a research group that found that 60% of Americans support it. And so Ron DeSantis, I think, is the future of the Republican Party. I think he's kind of, he's kind of the ideal of the evolution of the GOP. I think that Trump was kind of that transition point from the GOP that didn't fight back, that tried to be friends with everybody. Trump was the pendulum swinging the other way, and Ron DeSantis is kind of a happy medium there, where they attack on the things that actually matter. Trump attacked on everything. Trump did. Trump struggled to have a, com, a coherent message at times because he was attacking everything, and he, Trump had a, had issues, especially during his reelection bid. He had issues with consistency in message. If you go and if you went and looked at his Twitter account before he was banned, Trump was constantly attacking one thing after another, no coherency in the message. In his public statements, no coherency there. He was struggling 
to I to to come up with a message that would keep people together and united. He was just fight, fight, fight because that's how he won the first the first election. He was fighting the system. Well, Trump was the system in 2020, and he was struggling to get people to go along with him on, I'm still fighting everything. And a lot of that negativity just did not persuade voters. Well, now you have Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is in Florida, won a very, very hotly contested election by a very, very narrow margin. I think it was like 0.4%. He beat Andrew Gillum. And DeSantis has been taking the fight to the media, but in ways, and taking the fight in, to the left, but in ways that weren't just like attacking everybody that moved. He would support an issue, and when the left and the media fought against it, he would come back at them and prove them wrong and then move on. He never lingered on. He never held that grudge, and he still doesn't hold those grudges like Trump did. Trump would ostensibly win a fight, but then still harp on it for days and weeks afterwards. DeSantis, for example, is at a press event unrelated to the Parental Rights Act that he is going to sign, and a reporter asks about the Don't Say Gay bill. And DeSantis says, you're attacking the bill with a false premise. You're using a broken uh, talking point. You need to go read the law. This is what it says. And then he moved on. He didn't harp on it. He didn't go off on tangents about it. After the Disney thing, which is a ridiculous thing because it's not like Disney's going to up and leave Florida. After the Disney thing, DeSantis came out and said, this is... Uh, this is a this is a company that that excels at being family friendly and families don't want their kids learning about this. And that was it. He didn't go on this Twitter rant. He didn't go on these public rants about Disney for days and for hours and days afterwards. He said his piece and he moved on. This targeted a line of attack against the false narratives is where DeSantis is succeeding. That's why the media hates him so much. They go after him more than any other Republican governor because they are scared to death that he is the future of the GOP. And I think that he is. It's not to say that Trump is totally gone. Trump is probably going to play something along the lines of a kingmaker in the GOP, at least where 2022 and 2024 is concerned. 2022 will really be the determining factor over whether or not Trump runs in 2024. But Trump doesn't have to run in 2024. He can just lend his support and... Every candidate in 2024 knows they need Trump's support because that very loud, very active portion of the base, if they stay home, Joe Biden wins re-election or whoever succeeds Joe Biden wins that election. They need Trump's base, but they don't need Trump himself. They just need Trump's endorsement and the base will go along with it. He doesn't have a platform right now, but Ron DeSantis does. And Ron DeSantis has a very good team working with him. And they are making sure that the message goes out. Now, he's not the only one. DeSantis isn't the only one out there. He's just the one that gets all, he, all the air in the room goes to Ron DeSantis because that's who the media is essentially making the candidate for 2024. And that'll do it for me this afternoon. If you want to join me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. And you can check out the podcast version of this and all episodes of the show anytime on Apple, Spotify, etc. 
And I will talk to you guys again in 23 hours here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL.